review the Sautrantika position concerning the uh, selflessness of persons. And you recall that uh, in the Vaibhashika system, the only, they only asserted, of course, selflessness of persons, and that it was a, uh, an implicative negation that uh, the self is not the Atman as asserted by the non-Buddhist uh, Indian traditions, one which is static, partless, and can exist independently of a body and mind. And what that implied was that, not being that, it is an implication, an, an imputation on five aggregates. And being an imputation on the five aggregates which are static, which are non-static and which have parts, it also is uh, non-static and has parts. The Sautrantika system asserts the core selflessness as a non-implicative negation, saying that there is no such way to establish the existence of a person as by asserting that it is, exists like this Atman, because there is no such thing. So you can't establish the existence of yourself as a person by claiming you are this type of Atman, you have this type of soul. And uh, so it's a, a different way and uh, more decisive cutting off of uh, what is being refuted here. And then it, uh, Sautrantika goes on to assert a subtle selflessness of a person. And uh, this is a person that even though it might be an imputation on uh, the five aggregates, that it is self-sufficiently knowable. That was what the Vaibhashikas asserted because they asserted that cognition occurs without a mental hologram, but uh, directly, so that uh, uh, since each existent phenomenon is a substantially existent entity, the entity of a person is what actually hits the consciousness, uh, not the basis of uh, imputation of it, so that uh, the person can be known self-sufficiently by itself. Sautrantika introduces the uh, explanation that uh, cognition occurs through a mental hologram. That uh, mental hologram arises and uh, in terms of a, that's known as the aspect of uh, the uh, focal object in technical jargon, in technical terms, but I translate that as a mental hologram. And that uh, in order to cognize a person, that uh, it is imputedly knowable, it's not self-sufficiently knowable. Some aspect of the basis for imputation has to appear simultaneously. And the uh, subtle selflessness of a person is that there is no such way of establishing the existence of a person by claiming that it is self-sufficiently knowable. Okay.
So, this is something that uh, obviously we need to identify our misconception and work with uh, the understanding that there is no such thing, no such way of establishing the existence of the self. So I have some exercises here that uh, I think can help us to uh, identify this and uh, work with this and see its application. Recall thinking of yourself as a self-sufficiently knowable entity, a person that could be known all by itself without also simultaneously <coughs> thinking of some aspect of your five aggregates that are the basis for the imputation of yourself. And recall being concerned about what people think of you, about what you should do in the future, about what kind of person you are, etc. This is something that automatically arises. The uh, course selflessness is based on a doctrinally uh, based belief. We had to be taught about such an Atman, but this arises automatically. We think just of ourselves. We worry about what people think of me, what should I do, what kind of person am I, etc. So try to recognize that in ourselves. You know, there are all sorts of syndromes that come along with that, like uh, worrying, you know, I'm unpopular, I'm so fat, I'm so this, I'm so intelligent, I'm so this, I'm so that, as if they were qualities just of me. And not me in terms of my body or my mind or whatever. And then identify the suffering and the disturbing emotions, the suffering and destructive behavior that you experience from such concerns, such as worry, stress, feeling all alone, and so on. Nobody loves me, this type of thing.
I want to be a success. Many, many examples. I'm not a good parent. And recall being unaware that such concerns only make sense if you think about yourself in terms of the present situation of your body, mind, emotions, behavior, and so on. It's impossible to deal with these issues just in terms of me. Think of how much better you'd be able to deal with such concerns if you thought of yourself together with some aspect of your aggregates, such as your behavior. If you're worried about what people think of you, you can change how they consider you by changing your behavior with them. It's impossible to change yourself without changing something about yourself, such as your behavior.
and generate the determination to be free of the suffering that this unawareness brings you and to be free of its cause, that unawareness. Focus on yourself as being imputedly knowable together with some aspect of your aggregates, remembering that to deal with yourself, you need to deal with the various aspects of your aggregates, like your behavior or your eating habits. Okay. Comments? Questions? Yeah. Um, I understand the point of the exercise, which is to stop believing in, in this the nonsense that there's something sufficiently normal about me without any of the five aggregates. But at the same time, uh, there's if I want to change what other people think about me, and I, I don't do it on the basis of just thinking of that sufficiently normal me that doesn't exist, but on the basis of my behavior, there's no guarantee that others will even notice or that they will evaluate me in the way that I think they should, anything like that, no? Well, that's very true. That's why, you know, I mean, just to repeat, even if we change uh, the way that we <coughs> consider ourselves and what people think of us, that uh, we have to work on the, the basis for that, our behavior, and so on, that doesn't guarantee that the other people will understand that and stop judging us, you know, just thinking in terms of me. But uh, this is why we go from the determination to be free of this problem ourselves to compassion for others that have the same problem and have the compassion that, you know, may they be free 
of this type of uh, misconception. You know, there's no way that you can make them be free, but uh, you can try to help them to overcome that. You know, what ways could you use to help them to overcome that? Right. So she's saying that uh, it's important to differentiate when you're dealing with uh, children. That uh, um, I don't like the way you're behaving. It's not that I don't like you, but uh, uh, I still love you. But uh, what I don't like is your behavior. Yeah, we need to uh, differentiate that. You could even use the same. Pardon? You could use the same strategy, you know, with your yeah, colleagues or. Yeah, exactly. It's not only about you. Yeah. Yeah. I say it's right. very important in terms of kids because they pick up very concept. quickly. If you say I don't like something, they will subconsciously will be taking. The whole right. Well, yeah. also, if somebody doesn't like you, you can say, well, what about, what is it about me that you don't like? Exactly. You know. So to help them to see that maybe there's some aspect that they don't like and that uh, maybe this is something that uh, can, you can change. Plus we take things personally. Pardon? Plus we take very often things personally. Right, we take things, that's exactly the problem, we take things personally. And personally in the sense to, to really define it in, this, in, in terms of this teaching is to, to think about the, the, the solid, solid me. And that has no, no, no reference to the five aggregates, the referenceless. Well, there's no reference, there's no, nothing corresponding to the, you know, now you're jumping ahead, there's nothing corresponding to the me, the solid me, that's based yeah. on the five aggregates, but now you're jumping ahead to Prasangika. Yeah. No, 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 we don't want to. We don't want to do that. <laughs> the, uh, uh, Sautrantika says that uh, the defining characteristic of the self can be found on the side of mental consciousness because uh, no matter what the person is, uh, what, I've, what I'm doing or what somebody else is doing, the mental consciousness is still part of uh, the aggregate that, uh, aggregates that they're being labeled on and this is what goes into future lives according to Sautrantika. So they say the self is findable. So they say the self is, but what they didn't do, they say the consciousness itself, the, the, uh, the way of being aware of something, or which aspect of the consciousness, what do they say exactly? I don't know what they say exactly, they just say the mental consciousness okay. as a, one of the types of consciousness defined the way that consciousness is defined mm -hmm. as a mere clarity and awareness mm -hmm. and the mere arising of hologram and engagement with this it. This is a person. That the defining characteristic of the person can be found on the side of that mental consciousness. Mm. So that mental consciousness has the defining characteristic of both the mental consciousness and also the defining characteristic of a person. Mm. It is a common locus of the two defining characteristics. I see. 
Yeah, why not? Sounds like <laughs> 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 so Vaibhashka said the, it was found on the collection of all the aggregates. And since uh, in any moment you uh, can't really perceive all the aggregates, all five aggregates of someone, you don't know their, <coughs> their emotions and so on, that uh, therefore the person is cognized by itself, independently of all the aggregates, of the collection of the aggregates being there all together, being known all together. I, I thought not all together. They could also refer no. to a person oh. just as on the face or what, something. Because you are seeing the face of someone, you are not seeing the full basis for uh, imputation. Uh, imputation of the self, according to uh, Vaibhashika. But since you are seeing the person, you're seeing the person self-sufficiently, not on the basis of the whole basis for imputation. Whereas the uh, Sautrantika is saying that uh, even if you only see the face of somebody, the mental consciousness is there. Therefore, since the defining characteristic of the person can be found on the side of that mental consciousness, you have the basis for imputation, even on the basis of just one of the aggregates uh, showing obviously like the face. That's the argument. Okay. <laughs> Any further comments or thoughts about... Uh, so, but what you said is, so by Bashika, is like this whole question of the aggregates can be the basis of the person, although we can never really capture this all five aggregates or Together, yeah, this, we can never Therefore, in seeing, there, because the collection of the five, in Vaibhashika, because the collection of the five aggregates as a whole has the defining characteristic feature of a person, then when you are seeing a person, when you just then when what appears is only their face, the uh, form of their colored shapes of their face, you are seeing all you are knowing the person independently of knowing the entire basis for imputation. This becomes quite an issue, you know, in terms of the defining characteristic of the self. Vaibhashka has it being located on the collection of all the aggregates as a whole. Sautrantika has it in mental consciousness. Chittamatra has it in foundation consciousness, the Alaya Vinyana. Svatantrika has it again in the mental consciousness as the, um, what do they call it? basis of, in, of defining characteristics, I have a special term for that, whereas uh, Prasangika says you can't locate it anywhere. 
that the defining characteristic is actually, you know, just of the person, and it's not located even in the person, let alone in the basis for imputation. But nevertheless, there is a conventional defining characteristic by the convention of mental labeling. But we won't go into that in detail now. No, we don't. No, we won't. <laughs> we will get to that. So, any other comments about this? I think it really makes sense in terms of uh, uh, really identifying why we feel so stressed and why we worry so much because we're thinking of a self-sufficiently knowable me. We are attached to a certain image of ourselves. Can you speak louder, please? We are attached to a certain image of ourselves sometimes in a very, very, very firm way, fixed way. Well, if we have an image of ourself, that's a basis for imputation of the self. We're talking about thinking of ourselves not in terms of a, uh, an image that we have of ourself. I'm this kind of person or I'm that kind of person. Because then there's a basis for imputation. It's when we're just thinking about me. What should I do? which we then become all stressed about and worried about. Or we feel nobody understands me, so we feel alone. Nobody loves me. Okay? Yeah? But how can Sadrantika say that there is no self, like selflessness? Pardon? The Sautrantikas don't say there's no self. They say there is a self, which is an imputation on the aggregates and can only be known with some aspect of the aggregates appearing at the same time. There is such a self. And it can be known non-conceptually. This, by the way, is the Galupa interpretation of Sautrantika. For Vaivasikas, it should be possible then uh, to know the person, if it is self-sufficiently noble, it should be also noble without the aggregates at all, shouldn't it? Well, I don't know. Is the the person, according to Vaivasika, is noble independently of the aggregates? No, because they do assert that the self is an imputation. Mm, It's another imputation, I see. It's an imputation on the aggregate, so it can't exist separately from the aggregates, but it can be known separately from the whole collection of the aggregates. That doesn't mean, and I don't know what they say, whether it can be, whether, I mean, even when we know a person which is an imputation, let's say, on all the aggregates, and we're only seeing the face of the, of, uh, the person. But we know it's they, the person, so that's why we can say that it must be self-sufficiently, 
because we could also say on the arm that it's the same person or on whatever on the voice. So then there must be a That's right. person somewhere. Right. So, right. So there is, I mean, I haven't seen a clear explanation. You don't get uh, a lot of elaboration on the Vibhashaka system concerning this. I would imagine that to know the person, it's as if Let's use a very solid example. It's not quite, uh, you know, equivalent. But let's say uh, an orange. An orange. orange. There's the skin and there's the fruit inside the uh, orange. When I see the orange, I'm only seeing the skin. I'm not seeing the fruit inside. The fruit is inside of it, but I'm saying that I am seeing the orange just based on seeing the skin. So I'm seeing the orange by itself without the full basis of imputation appearing. Part of the basis of imputation is there, but I'm not actually seeing the orange. I'm only seeing part. I would have to say I'm seeing the orange. I'm just seeing the orange. I think that's a little bit... Which is true. One is seeing an orange. Right. It's logical, (laughs) isn't it? Right. According to the Galupas. The others uh, analyze it differently. We won't go into that. So the Sotrantika doesn't say that there is no self, but it just doesn't exist as we uh, see it. No, none of the tenet systems say that there is no such thing as a self. Even Prasangika. Even there is the conventionally existent self. Conventionally established self. They refute what I call, you know, as a general term, the impossible self. Didn't Shautratika say that this defining characteristic of a person can be found in... Mental consciousness. The defining characteristic of a person, of an individual, can be found in the uh, continuum of their mental consciousness. So they say that that's like a valid basis. That's a valid basis goes on from lifetime to lifetime and it uh, delineates you as an individual being as opposed to somebody else. You mean defining characteristic? The defining characteristic. What makes you you? What makes you you. And is what is the mental factor of distinguishing differentiates That's how you can differentiate you from everybody else, from not you. But even if I just see the face or hear the voice, then I I know that it only exists uh, in a package with a consciousness, so I can 
impute already on the voice that there is a person because the consciousness because you are seeing the, the basic because you are perceiving the uh, the, consciousness? the defining characteristic of a person you're perceiving the consciousness when you're hearing the voice no if you're hearing a voice there must be a consciousness behind it yeah that's what I mean yeah it comes only in a package. It comes in a package. You can't have a voice without a consciousness. Right. Food without a consciousness. Right. It's your skin of orange. You know that the flesh is inside. You can't see just skin without flesh. Yeah. Well, it could be a, <laughs> a skin of an orange. I mean, it could be a skin of an orange with uh, uh, nothing inside, or it could be a, uh, a stuffed animal, a stuffed you know, a human being with just the skin Stop and... But then, you are, then, but then you are mistaken if you, if you believe this right. to be a real orange or a real person. Right, that's the example that's always used between mistaking a scarecrow for a person. You also have to first learn what an orange is. Yes, but now we're getting way off oh. topic. You're going way off into prasangika. So let's not go there. Let's stay with uh, Sautrantika. The whole point of the tenet systems is to understand that the insight, the analysis and insights of each system are beneficial, that they help you, and that uh, in order to deconstruct our misconceptions, it's going to work much better if we deconstruct it step by step. Because if you go to just deconstructing the final step and miss out the other ones, you might still leave the other ones there without realizing it. You also said we're interpreting it in just one... We're we're interpreting it the Galupa way. We'll stick with that. But just be aware that uh, the other... uh, you know, before Tsongkhapa, they interpreted it differently, and many of the traditions after Tsongkhapa continue to interpret it differently. He didn't convince the others that he was okay. correct. They refute him, you know, very uh, strongly, or try to refute very strongly, and then there's a continuing debate. The whole thing has to do with whether or not we actually perceive non-conceptually common-sense objects, or whether common-sense objects are only conceptual uh, syntheses. Tsongkhapa says that uh, you can perceive that non-conceptual cognition actually perceives common-sense objects. And the uh, one of the analyses behind that is that uh, he emphasizes this as part of his whole uh, thrust of wanting to um, reestablish ethics because if you think that everything is just a mental construct then uh, um, you also think that cause and effect is just a mental construct therefore it doesn't matter what you do so, because he wanted to emphasize that uh, it actually are, there are actual common sense causes and common sense results and stuff like that. And it's not just a concept of them that uh, 
ethics is uh, infallible, in a sense. He must have been considered at that time quite revolutionary. Oh, he was a revolutionary. <laughs> he was absolutely a revolutionary. So, anyway, going off topic. The uh, next step in this meditation is to uh, practice Donglen in terms of this giving and taking. First, directing it at yourself, as is uh, taught in the instructions of uh, seven-point mind training, taking away from yourself that unawareness and that suffering, thinking that we are self-sufficiently knowable and then the worry about ourselves and so on, and giving ourselves the correct understanding that we are imputedly knowable. You do that with taking on the suffering as breathing in and uh, giving that understanding with breathing out. And also giving out with that understanding the relief and happiness that would go together with that. go together with that understanding. Remember, when we take in that unawareness, that ignorance, it dissolves into the correct understanding that there's no such thing as a self-sufficiently knowable person, or me.
Okay. Then we have to take it a second step, which is uh, uh, analyze this whole thing and go through the same type of process in terms of our thinking that other people are self-sufficiently knowable. And when we think of them like that, then we get disturbing emotions like, I hate you, or, you know, I want you to love me, or you're the most wonderful one. And all these sort of type of uh, insecurities that we have in terms of uh, thinking just of someone else as a self-sufficiently knowable person. And how much better it would be if we recognize that we're thinking of them in terms of a certain aspect of their aggregates. And actually, there are many other aspects of their aggregates. followed that by the determination to be free of it with the correct understanding and then to don't lend based on that. Consider the thought, I want to get to know you. What does that mean? I don't really know you.
Okay. Any comments on that? You said uh, missing about I don't really know you. Mm-hmm. Remind me of, uh, of an episode that uh, happened in my life, like, and something that happens to basically anybody who comes out to their parents as gay. That there's a moment when your parents think, I don't know this person, who are you? I don't really know you, I don't know anything about you. Mm. It's this impression that they know, don't know the person, that somebody they, they, you know? And of course, later they realize it's bullshit in many aspects of the person that they <laughs> know. Of course they know. This is, but it's even described like in, in, in right. different booklets and so on, this step is described. <laughs> right. So he's saying that uh, when somebody comes out as gay to their parents, uh, the parents often will respond in terms of saying, I don't know you as a person, I don't, I don't know who you are anymore. But that's absurd, because obviously they know many other aspects of yourself. But it's a human trait if you don't understand for yourself one thing about somebody else, uh-huh. then right away you don't know the whole thing. It's like, you know, it's, you forget automatically about all the things you do. Well, exactly. That is exactly it. When we, you know, this, I mean, we will develop this a little bit uh, further as we go deeper into Sautrantika, but uh, when we know some, uh, uh, we thought we knew somebody, but then we learned some uh, new aspect of them. And then uh, we said, well, I don't really, I didn't really know you <laughs> before. Which mathematically is not possible. Which mathematically is not possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, this gets into the whole issue of uh, uh, the, uh, this uh, disturbing attitude, which is the uh, deluded uh, outlook toward a transitory network, our old friend, which is that uh, you, have, uh, you either identify me or the other person with just one aspect of the aggregates, or you identify them as possessing that, as mine, as theirs. You have a terrible personality. Yeah as if there's a you that is separate and that possesses that. Yeah. And everything else fades out. And everything else doesn't count. Yeah. And it's static also. And it's static, of course. It has no parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, do, do something same to my husband. I know you're a wonderful person, you're very generous, but you have a shitty character. So, and <laughs> I appreciate that aspect, but I know I hate others. So... Um, and what did he say? <clears throat> no, but you can say that, that, uh, you know, you're talking about your husband, that yeah. he has a, uh, everything is wonderful about him. Yeah, yeah, you've got this, you've got, you're you've, very generous. You're very generous, very these sort of things, but you have a terrible character. character. So, that's acknowledging that uh, there, is all, there are all these aspects of the basis for imputation. Some you're, ju- you're judging as good, some you're judging as bad. But that gets into another issue of judgments. 
and categories that we put these things into. That's yeah, a different issue. Everything is bad, I guess I should say something. That's a different issue. Yeah. Well, judgment is projecting it onto yourself. Well, judgment has okay. to do with categories and the associations that you have with the categories. I just wanted to say, because, because my husband, you know, I know a lot about him, but you can't hold a lot of different aspects of so many people who know. So basically, we see only one to aggregate, and as you said, we just contribute right. to, to the personality, and we, it's very difficult to hold in, the, in, in your head everything, or maybe we just don't know a lot. Well, it's difficult to hold in your head everything about it, somebody, but I mean, then it gets into the whole metaphysical question of what does it mean to know somebody, yeah. and how much do you need to know in order to know somebody? <laughs> And can you ever know somebody completely? Can you ever know yourself completely? Can you know yourself? Pardon? As a Buddha, maybe. As a Buddha, maybe. But I was two years ago, not how I am now. Pardon? Surprise myself. That's what you just said. Can we know ourselves? Do we really think we know ourselves? There's so many hidden things. Well, there's all this. Remember the. Uh, when we discuss time in Buddhism, there's the uh, no longer happenings of all the previous events that are also imputations on your mental continuum. So going back, you know, beginningless lives and the not yet happenings in terms of, that can be imputed on the karmic potentials that you have. So only a Buddha, you're right, only a Buddha would know the entire basis for imputation and uh, all the impute valid imputations on it. Now I feel like a person. fish just knowing <laughs> Right, so then we're like a fish that doesn't know very much of anything. I want to ask something else. You said how to help others. And how to... Well, that's exactly the image that I always use. It's like we are looking out of a periscope mm -hmm. in a submarine. We only see a tiny little portion of the entire um, uh, view. Periscope. Like in the You can't see everything. You only see a little bit within the yeah. what that lens is uh, aimed at. This is how our vision is. And fixed in one position. Right? It doesn't swivel. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it can turn around the whole time. No, no. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like looking out of these holes in the front of our head. <laughs> I just wanted to say something else. That I, I catch myself as being very often angry. It's just also my anger when people judge me or define me. And uh, when you said to Karmic and others, how can we help ourselves from when others define us in a specific way or they throw it at your face like, uh, in the eyes of my husband, I'm this way. I know I'm not this way. I mean, who knows where? But I, it's like the only person in of all I know that he sees me in a certain way, and I know it's not true. Maybe right. So this, but this gets into yeah. You're you're all of this is getting into the next step, which oh. we will do next week. We have to, <laughs> which has to do the, with the categories that uh, we uh, perceive ourselves and others in terms of, so in terms of just uh, seeing yourself, you know, your husband seeing you, putting you in one certain category, 
that nobody else puts you into that category. I mean, this has to do with uh, how various items fit into categories and what the Sachantikas say about that, which uh, the Chittamatras will then refute. So let us uh, stick to the topic. And uh, the next step in this is to think about others who have the same problem, develop compassion for them as we have the determination to be free of this problem ourselves, that they have this problem of uh, thinking about themselves as if they were self-sufficiently knowable and regarding us as if we were self-sufficiently knowable and others, and having the uh, compassion for them to be free of that and then don't lend to take it on ourselves and to give them the correct understanding of the happiness that would result from that. During the meditation, I felt like uh, we are taking ourselves way too serious. Um, you felt that in the meditation we were taking ourselves too seriously? Too serious, yes. Meaning what? That it doesn't matter? No, it does matter, but yeah, so many things that we don't need to think about. No, but what I thought is myself, but then when I feel like a comp when I try to develop compassion for others, I notice that they are quite a strong sense of a person. Quite strong tense sense of what? A person. A, a person. person. A person. Yeah, may she be happy, may you be happy. When I like, try to yeah, cultivate compassion, I have quite strong sense of a person. But, uh, but compassion for yourself? According to... Uh, so you're saying when you develop compassion, you have a strong sense of the other person as a person? Yeah, as a person, yeah. But what we are doing here is... As a person that can be known all by themselves? Well, then it's poor you, you know, and pity and all of that. You're just thinking of the person. Yeah, because I was thinking, who are we sending this compassion to? Because it's not a person. No? It's a who are we sending it to? To a person. To someone that can only be known, that doesn't exist as something static and partless and independent of a body and mind and can only be known at you know, with some aspect of body and mind also appearing simultaneously. Just leave it as Sautrantika. Yeah. But so that according to Sautrantika, it would be sort of this mental consciousness would be the, how you say that? Well, the mental consciousness is there. That just justifies saying that uh, we, the, uh, the defining characteristic of the person is always there when we perceive them and it's in the basis for imputation, we may see other aspects of the basis of imputation, but that basis of imputation is always there. You mean the mental? The mental consciousness. So there's an it's true, so there's an affirmation, as he says. So when he's thinking of a person, there's something affirmative coming up. Right, when you are thinking of a person, it is an affirmation uh, phenomenon, sure. When we think of the selflessness, it's a negation phenomenon. So if you develop compassion for a person, 
then you have uh, you have both. Yeah. Well, you're developing compassion for first of all, you realize the selflessness, which is in this case like avoidness, that there's no such thing as this person being established as you know in these impossible ways. So then they appear like that, but it's like an illusion. And the actuality is that they are imputedly knowable and imputation, etc., etc. So you develop compassion for them, even though they might appear in an impossible way. They don't exist that way. You can't establish that they exist that way. That would not be valid. So the aspect of compassion is may they be free of that. May they be free of the suffering that they experience and the, the unawareness that's the cause of it. Because they experience themselves as... Because they experience themselves as self-sufficiently knowable and they treat me as if I were self-sufficiently knowable. Mm-hmm. And they treat others as well, their children or you know, their colleagues at work, etc. And this is the cause of why they have so much worry and stress and difficulties and they get into so many arguments and, and, and so on. So then it's a switch back and forth. Then you say, oh, may they be, f- be free of that and on the other side, may they recognize that they are exactly. only a stream of mental... Co- exactly, that is Dong Len. You take from them the wrong conception and suffering and give them the correct yeah. understanding and happiness. That's what Dong Len is all about. Yeah, but it's also correct understanding. No, it's both. I mean, I just mean that there are two aspects of a correct understanding. Mm-hmm. It is like there is the not being this, but being this. Right. That is the space-like total absorption and the the yeah. subsequent realization yeah. of being like an illusion. Yeah. But it's more like with this giving the correct understanding. It's more like wishing. Right. Because when you give it to them, you wish that they had that. Yeah, because otherwise you come off as like a teacher of authority that only I know the correct understanding. Well, I mean, you could go in, the, in this distorted direction that I'm the only one that has this understanding and I will. I'm so wonderful, I will give it to you. You poor thing that is so stupid and doesn't... Uh, no, but you know, you don't want to be too sure of yourself that 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 is the correct understanding compared to... Well, in order to give them... I mean, you need to... In order to give a correct understanding, you need to have a correct understanding. Exactly. And it needs to be... And it needs to be not only accurate, but decisive. Yeah. So you're talking about after lots of training. After a lot of training, sure. And even then, you're not 100% sure. Well, after a lot of training, you would be sure. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. That's if the point. Uh, if you yeah. don't become sure, then don't start. <laughs> right. You know, before it doesn't go. So, this is what Sirkin Rinpoche was saying when he was here to have that determination to be free, you have to really understand the correct view. You know, that it is possible to get rid of it and what the correct view is. 
It was like what you were saying uh, last time that uh, to recognize that the self is a changing phenomenon, non-static, impermanent. You have to understand impermanence first. If you didn't understand impermanence, then you can't correctly you know, think of the self as impermanent, as changing from moment to moment. So that has to come first. That's why we had all the steps prior to the Donglen practice. But practicing in this way with all these steps and breaking it into all these parts and so on then makes it a very comprehensive meditation. I've taken part in, I, would just, I guess I would, you would call it then uh, Donglen 101 version of without any of these prerequisites years and years ago before of any of these prerequisites um, uh, there was uh, somebody practicing this Donglen, but because these prerequisites weren't in place, um, they just said it was taking in the suffering and wishing the 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 person, you know, the that to this person that the suffering goes away, and and it was more like without the part of knowing for sure. Uh, the correct understanding, but it's more of taking in all the really negative, bad, bad stuff that is coming off somebody and which they're suffering of and filtering it and breathing out positive energy, positive force to, with the intention of wish, wishing the suffering goes away without that part of the correct understanding. Well, yes, I think that uh, you could do an incomplete Donglen practice just in terms of uh, uh, taking on suffering and giving happiness without necessarily taking on the causes of the suffering. In other words, understanding what the causes are and giving the causes for happiness, which would be the correct understanding. Would it it be called Donglen? I think that you could do a practice uh, like that. And it certainly would be, and it certainly would be effective. It's like when you're feeling sorry for yourself and feeling unhappy and so on, then you imagine taking all that, uh, you know, of everybody else who has this and taking it on to, you know, yourself, removing it from everybody and giving happiness. And as a result of that compassion, you feel happiness because you are giving happiness. Exactly. So you generate happiness yourself. This is, why, this is why His Holiness says that compassion right. is the source of happiness. Right. Because we did that in the framework of psychotherapy. So, in, you know, uh, uh, without this, all this prerequisite of the knowledge. <laughs> right. Well, you could do this without the prerequisite of the knowledge, but it isn't very deep. Right, it's not deep, but it does have a positive effect. It does have a positive effect, that certainly. That's the point, to get to Certainly, that. it has a positive effect. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So, but compassion is defined as may they be free of suffering and the causes for right. suffering, not just may they be free of, right. of suffering. Right. And in a way, if one, if one doesn't believe that it is possible to, get, to really get rid of the suffering, then it's like, okay, wishing you to whatever. Right, exactly. No, that that's the, really believe, no, that belief is the given. Um, the belief is the given. That you can get, that the suffering yeah. is possible to yeah. remove. Yeah. So, but then if you don't understand cause and effect, yeah. then you could have, you know, you could wish that, you know, some external force, God removes it from you them. You have to be careful of how far you So, it. It, you know, I mean, you could practice Donglen in the context of other philosophical systems right. and other religions. But it wouldn't be the Buddhist practice. Buddhist practice includes the cause, eliminating the causes and giving the cause for happiness and understanding that and being convinced that it works. However, you could do a uh, a uh, um, what's the word a semblance of the practice without that full understanding, and it still would have a benefit. That's what I was. Uh, my first experience. Right, whether you call it Donglen or not is... They called it Donglen, you know, though they made it clear what? that it was without this prerequisite right. of the understanding, it was clear. Right. <laughs> I just, I just wonder if, if one has, for example, a completely, like, in our society, materialistic worldview, then it's by, by this view already impossible to get rid of suffering. It's part of the package. One can't get rid of it. So, and then you do such a practice and it's like, you wish for something you believe is not possible. So, I mean, it might have an effect, but it's... Well, you could also do a semblance of the practice. May your wishing for the suffering of the other person and happiness to be minimized. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. this you could do, yeah, yeah. but you couldn't get rid of suffering right. by nature. No, I think minimalization would be... Minimalization, yeah. Minimalization. But this is what psychology is saying for. Exactly. Yeah. Right, psychology right. does that. Right. Yeah, it was in the framework of all that. Right. <laughs> you know, if you're having an yeah. operation, mm-hmm. may the pain that you experience afterwards be minimal. Yeah. Because you know that it's not going to be zero. Yeah, that's yeah. totally... Yeah. That's totally reasonable. No, this is... Yeah. Right. Like that. So, next week we will uh, discuss the other aspect that is very significant about Sautrantika, is that uh, the uh, defining characteristics of objects uh, empower them to belong to, to be fit into certain categories. That we will... Explain, in other words, uh, how does fitting ourself or others into the category of uh, um, human, male, female, German, American, Russian, uh, good person, bad person, um, stupid, smart, etc., how all of that works and the problems that we have uh, associated with that? So Sautrantika has a solution to that, and Chittamatra will then deal with the Sautrantika assertion and refine it. And then (laughs) Svatantrika refines on that, and Prasangika refines on that. But this is uh, 
one of the uh, most crucial issues is uh, how things fit into categories. Okay, and then judgment, of course, comes together with all these categories. So let's end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to achieve the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all. But also remember with this Donglen practice, the four steps of uh, the meditation on the immeasurables. How wonderful it would be if they were free of this suffering. May they be free of this suffering. Uh, may I be able to help free them from this suffering. You know, Buddhas and my teachers, you know, inspire me to be able to do that. So there are the steps. It's not thinking, you know, I'm all powerful and I'll be able to do it. Okay? Thank you.